welcome you all into the third edition of Oral City Literature Festival organized by SGR Knowledge Foundation in association with GH Raisoni University powered by Raisoni Group of Institutions. I am Aditi Mishra, delighted to be your anchor for today's session on the creative trend with Manjari Prabhu by Dr. Manjari Prabhu in conversation with Mr. Dipankar Mukherjee. Dr. Manjari Prabhu holds a doctorate in communication science and is an independent filmmaker for television, a writer, novelist in English, and also the founder, director of a literary festival. She has directed over 200 children's TV programs, more, or, more, more than 50 short fictions and travel films, and has authored 15 books. Her unpublished psychological thrill novel was adapted into a Hindi feature film by NFDC titled Kuch Dil Ne Kaha. Her thesis converted into a book titled Roles, Reels and Real has become a rare reference book for students of Hindi cinema. Manjiri Ma'am has been acknowledged as a pioneer in India among women writers of mystery fiction and she has a diverse global fan following. She is also the first female mystery author to be published outside India and has been labeled as the Desi Agtha Christie. And much recently, she has been acknowledged to be a match for Dan Brown by Dr. Shashi Tharun. She has been invited to reputed international literature festival like Agatha Christie Festival, UK and international women fiction writers, Matira, Italy. Her novels, The Cosmic Clues, was selected as a killer book by independent mystery bookseller of America, and The Astral Alibi was honored to be as notable book in the Kiriyama Prize. Her books, and her books have been published by varied reputed publishers like Penguin, Blossomberry, Random House, USA, Jacob Books, Rupa Publications, and Times Group Books. As the founder director of Pune International Literary Festival, Prabhu has brought Pune City on the international map of literature and arts festivals. She believes that literature heals and is a prerequisite to a peaceful society. She has recently been chosen as one of 50 inspiring women of Maharashtra and has been awarded for excellent in writing by ERTC Global Herald in Mumbai. As well being award the Rex Karambir Gold Medal Award. She is also an animal welfare and activist promoting caring and adoption of stray dogs. It's an honor to have you with us, Dr. Manjari and this gets even more delighted to as we have Mr. Dipankar Mukherjee, who will be in conversation with her as the moderator. Dipankar Mukherjee, sir, is the publisher and director of Ridomania Publishing. Under his leadership, the house has produced over 120 books in just about six years, with some critically acclaimed and award-winning titles as well. 
He also teaches creative writing and runs the popular young author program for aspiring authors. He is an engineer from Nagpur University, holds an MBA degree from IIT Madras, and has been in the corporate world for nine years before being an entrepreneur. He also manages business interests in hospitality and manufacturing. I once again welcome you, ma'am, and I welcome you, sir. Also, before moving ahead, I would like to take a moment and acknowledge the support of Britomania Publications as their association is valuable to Orange City Literature Festival. Now, my dear audience, you are about to experience a conversation between very two dynamic individuals. So, without skipping a moment, I humbly invite the Panther sir to lead us ahead. Thank you, Aditi. Thank you so much for the introductions. And it was a um, lovely thing to hear the setup that you created for us to jump into the conversation. So with no further delay, I'll straight away start the questions that I prepared for Manjuri. Manjuri, welcome to the OCLF Festival and the session. We are really looking forward to some interesting answers from you. <laughs> Let me begin with this whole idea that there are very few authors in India who have a body of work that can compare with you in terms of the genres you've written in, the publishers you've worked with, and the number of books that you have published. Tell us how this journey started. Thank you, Dipankar. Thank you, Aditi. Um, it's a real pleasure being here today. And it's my first time at Orange Literature Festival, but I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing all the sessions and everything. Dipankar, I think uh, when she read out the entire bio, she missed out Readomania. I've been published, I've got four books by Readomania, and uh, I'm looking forward to publishing more with them. And they're a very happening publishing house. Happy to be with them. So coming to your question, uh, Dipankar, how did this begin? Obviously, I think, you know, I always say that it began when I was young. And as a kid, I was reading Edith Blyton books. But now when I think about all of this, I think, you know, everyone has a soul contract. I think before I was born, I made a soul contract with God that no matter what, I want to be a writer. I think that's where the journey really began. I'm going to go way back uh, right into the time when probably the universe of God made soul contracts with each one of us. And I think I chose to be a writer. Having said that, I mean, of course, that's that's something that comes deep from my heart. I don't know if the audience is going to resonate with this answer. But uh, when I was born, let's say, after I was born and I started reading, I got introduced to Enid Blyton. And, you know, I started reading children books. And the moment I read her books, I just knew it. I knew that I had to be a writer one day and I had to create uh, this world of fiction where every person could relate to and carry it forward into their lives, learn something from them, get entertained, be happy. So that was really my goal. And of course, along the way, I started writing. I honestly, Dipankar, my goal was not to be a published author. I know you might not. I mean, people might not believe this, but publishing came much later. For me, writing was the goal. I just wanted to write, just bring out all the stories that were inside me, uh, entertain myself, entertain my family, maybe some friends. But I knew I wanted to be a writer. So this concept of being a published author came way ahead in 94 when you know Rupa Romance series came out. And I said, let me write a romantic suspense uh, book for them. And that's how it all started. Well, it's been a long journey. So, you know, too many things in it, too many ups and downs, too many challenges. But yes, it's been worth it. 
Great. So Manjari's stack of books is so huge that you probably cannot fit them in one screen. I just have a bunch of her books. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Very few of them. And if I see through this, okay, you have written this wonderful mystery and thriller series, which is the travel series. You have written children's book of which the latest one is Adventures of Mitu. You've written science and futuristic fiction, which is Revolt of Lambrun. And you've written nonfiction, which is the doctrine of peace. What amongst all of this is your favorite genre to write for? Wow, that's, you know, it's like asking a parent who's your favorite kid, literally, because I mean, it's not just the genre, it's each book. Each book has a story. Each book was a journey. Each book grew out of some passion inside me. So it's very difficult to say which genre, which book. But genre wise, certainly, I think mystery, thriller, suspense is my, um, what should I say? I'm born for it. I'm born to write it. Having said that, when I wrote The Doctrine of Peace, that was that was uh, something which also came from my heart, but it was nonfiction. So if you, wanted, if you want me to choose between fiction and nonfiction, I would any day write fiction because it's, uh, it means I'm creating a world of my own. It means I am challenging the originality in me. It means that I have something to offer to fiction readers, something which has not been done before. So all these things help me grow as a person and help me develop. So definitely, I think fiction writing uh, and mystery mysteries is my is my genre, favorite genre. That's interesting. So for a minute, if I have to stick to fiction, even within fiction, you've written for children, for adults. So while you were writing for children, was that experience and the process different from how and when you wrote for adults? Well, actually, I began writing for children first. You know, like I said, when I uh, when I started in Enigblatton books, you know, and the kind of characters, of course, you know, when you read back just now, when you read Enigblatton just now, you realize that they're such simple books. But when you're that age, you're so taken up by the characters of Fatty and Larry and Pip and the dog, and you want to you want to live with them in their village and solve mysteries with them. And when I read that, I wanted to create the same kind of world of fiction for the Indian readers. So actually I began writing children books, but I think I got published with adult fiction first. So when you compare writing for children and writing for adults, I think the basic premise of creating a plot is the same. Okay, it's the way you implement and unfold the plot, which would be different. I can afford to be complicated, complex, multi-fold. I can have multiple murderers, anything in an adult book. But when you're writing for children, you have to keep a certain sensitivity in mind. You have to remember that they're innocent. You have to remember that they're not exposed to the harshness of the world. And you have to project the harshness of the world in a very sweet manner. So I think the basic difference in how you approach them, although plots and stories and characterization would probably be the same. That's interesting. You've written two books for children. One is Mystery at Malabar Cottage and the other is Adventures of Mitu. Now, in both those books, animals play an important role. As a matter of fact, Adventures of Mitu is based on the life of a cat and in Malabar Cottage as well. So now, Hi, why did you give so much importance to animals in your children's book? Well, you know, animals are such an important part of our lives. Uh, it's like saying, why would you give importance to your hand when you're eating? You know, it's as simple as that for me. 
why would you give importance to your child uh, in your home? You know, it's that important for me. So I think that as children, those children who don't have the opportunity to grow up with animals around them, I think this is a chance and an opportunity for them to understand that animals you know, around us, especially the domestic animals, because that's where we begin, are an important part of our lives that we learn a lot from them. And they would help us in our growth and in our evolution and in our uh, evolving as good human beings. So, but of course, not every person is lucky enough to have an animal in their house for several reasons. The parents may not like it. They may be scared. So lots of other things are there. So I felt that fiction was a very good uh, opportunity to introduce animals in a very nice light and bring out their, uh, their qualities and help children understand that animals can play a very important role in our lives and they can teach us a lot. Great. As a matter of fact, if I draw this extension, your book, The Doctrine of Peace, which is a nonfiction book, and it's a magnum opus of your entire life's work. I believe in this book you have presented a whole new idea of how animals and especially dogs are important for our existence and our well-being. Why didn't you throw some light on this? Well, you know, like I said, th thank you for bringing this up because it's like my uh, now my favorite book uh, and nonfiction. And uh, most importantly, Dipankar, I feel that, you know, we are all inherently born as compassionate, loving beings. As children, if you look at children and how they operate and how they move around, they're loving. There is no, you know, they easily go to somebody, they easily, you know, go and talk to somebody. There's very, very little, you know, friction between them and other human beings. It is as we grow up that, you know, things come into our lives, you know, situations happen in our lives. People teach us stuff where we begin to lose touch with the inherent compassion and love in our, in our within us. So I kept thinking, you know, I felt how how is it possible to bring back this love and compassion into our lives? That was that was happening on one side. On the other side, I was introduced to dogs when uh, I was in college and my dog Sheena came into my life. She was a gift. You know, I, I was teaching a friend's daughter French and I wasn't taking any money for it. So uh, as a return uh, favor, she gave me a little pup, pom, a Pomeranian. She was a Spitz. And I called her Sheena. She was my first daughter. And Sheena completely changed my life. You know, till then I was I was this well normal being, you know, going to college and uh, was a part of a rock band. And I used to just generally hang around, didn't like cooking. You know, it was a very vagabondish kind of a, a, a school and college student. But the moment Sheena came into my life, I think my whole perception of life changed. I began to see things very differently. I began to, uh, you know, look at trees differently. I began to see life in every single person and every single thing. And so everything changed. And I realized that here was the answer. Of course, not just then. It took me lots of interactions with dogs and, you know, so much, uh, how much, so many deaths, uh, so much misery, so much neglect, so much love. There were so many things that happened in my life, you know, with dogs that along the way, my kind of um, my vision kind of broadened and broadened. And somehow I felt that suddenly I was getting enlightened in a very different kind of way. And I realized that this love and compassion that I was seeking in the world around me could very simply be brought about by introducing an animal who was there with us, who has been there with us for 15,000 years and who's there for a reason. And I realized that this combination of love, compassion on one side and human beings and a dog 
could come together for the good of, of all human beings. And that is how the Doctrine of Peace was born. You in that book, The Doctrine of Peace, have interviewed really big people. Menika Gandhi, Dr. Jean Goodall, Swami Atmapriyanand, Diya Mirza, Bharat Dabolkar, Dr. Stanley Cohen, so many of them. So did you find a commonality in what they were talking about, animals, about love? How was your interaction with them? Well, they all come from different spheres, you know, and they're all stalwarts in their fields. And I didn't really approach them with the angle of talking to them only about dogs. I want, I knew, I mean, obviously everyone knows them, you know, Jane Goodall has worked with chimpanzees all her life, but her favorite animal is a dog. Menka Gandhi has literally, uh, you know, she, the, you talk about animal laws, you talk about animals and the name Menka Gandhi crops up. You know, so, I mean, there are so many people who in their own field have worked a lot uh, for uh, the good of human beings. So what I really found, you know, common between all of them was that they all valued life. And I think that is very important. So no matter uh, Bharat Dabulkar is a creative person and uh, Swami Atma Priyanand is vice chancellor of, uh, you know, Vivekanand University or Swami Atma, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bali Yogi Bhavnani runs the Pondicherry Gitanan, the you know his ashram, or David Ji, who was the ex CEO of the Deepak Chopra Institute, but meditates with his dog, you know, and so many other people. Dia Mirza, who is a UN uh, messenger of peace. So all these people, no matter what they're doing in their fields, whether creative, scientific, environmental, spiritual, they all value life. And I think that is the foundation for any theory to grow, for any kind of interaction between two human beings. That's wonderful. In fact, the book comes out as a really good piece of spiritual reading, which can help people understand the value of love and compassion in life. And that's a very good piece of literature. Moving on to your thrillers. And I have a very specific question about destination thrillers. So for audience, if they don't know, Manjri Prabhu is the person who introduced the concept of destination thrillers to India. Manjiri, could you tell us something about what is a destination thriller and how did you conceptualize this whole idea? So, you know, a lot of authors do use different locales in their books. You know, a lot of people do that, like they base a story somewhere. I mean, that's very a very common practice. But very few, at least in India, have used the destination as a character. Which means it's a character like, you know, another, uh, the hero or the heroine or the protagonist or the villain. So the destination becomes a character. And what do I mean by that? It, obviously, the destination is not going to, you know, talk to you, uh, you know, like a human being, but it can talk to you in a very different way. For example, there could be certain things within the destination that can lead you uh, to your next clue or to the next uh, flow in your plot. Your destination could actually be, uh, instrumental in leading your story forward and that is how it becomes a character and so when i uh, so i always like to use locales different kinds whether it's pune and around pune whether it's europe whether it's you know any other place i've always loved to incorporate other destinations in my stories but it was in i think um 2001 that i've been to salzburg uh, for, you know, like, like you do backpacking. I went backpacking with my husband and they do the Sound of Music tour in in Salzburg where they take you around the palace where the, the one trap family lived, you know, in the, in the film. And that's where the film was shot. So they take you around it. That's a beautiful lake. They take you around it. And I saw this palace there and I was so smitten, literally. I said, oh my God, what a beautiful place with the lake and the mountain, you know, and everything. And I said, 
what a perfect location for a for a book for a novel you know and that's like you say you know you sow seeds into the universe and slowly somewhere the seeds keep growing literally you know about a couple of years later i was invited to that schloss to actually uh, you know be inside the schloss and be a part of a seminar and the moment i stepped into that marble hall i knew that one day i had to really of course i wasn't there just then to write a novel but one day this palace was going to be a character in my book which is how 12 years later i went back there and i did it and that's how this whole destination thriller thing was born for me as a matter of fact i must tell my audience here that such is the power of manjari that before i knew her personally on one on one basis the book trail of four which is based in salzburg made me travel from india to austria and visit salzburg to actually go around and see places mentioned in this novel so that is the power of a destination thriller so that's really really very interesting manjari so you have based your first novel in um, austria second one in scandinavia and you go to sweden in sweden, sweden. and yeah. um, uh, you're going to base the next two in a few other places you have a character who's common among them tell us something about the character you've built which is a common factor across all these books so yes yeah, so it's a series which means uh, you know there has to be a, a main protagonist and that's ray parker so ray parker is an investigative journalist you know and uh, uh, he's a filmmaker also but uh, what is particular peculiar about not particular but peculiar about ray is that he gets visions you know psychic visions of a place he has been to if that place is going to be in danger so for example in the trail of four he gets this vision that there's a huge black cloud you know looming over the palace and his heart starts palpitating he gets this vision and he knows that something's going to happen at the palace and that's how he lands there so ray is a very interesting character he doesn't speak too much uh, he's very intuitive uh, he's got a spiritual bend to him uh and he's got of course a dark past which you would know if you read the book and the series and uh, he's gone in the series he moves around from place to place uh and is gets caught up in uh the history and uh, the intrigue of that particular place of which he has a vision so that's it and of course along the way he's going to meet interesting characters and and ray has um multiple romantic interests uh through each book he may not end up with them sometimes he would uh, but ultimately of course he's going to end up with someone but the point is that he's a very deep and intense character and uh, i you know you know i literally saw him uh, when i created him i my first vision of ray was a vision of him a man with a ponytail uh, in a leather jacket standing by a lakeside looking at a mountain with his back to me you know that was my first vision of ray parker even before i created him and so that's the power of his influence on me why do i feel this sounds like a uh, the tour guide of the sound of music tour who <laughs> did no. you get it by the tour guide dipankar i wish the tour guides were so handsome or uh, <laughs> so mysterious or so intriguing i i wouldn't need to create a character at all you didn't you didn't see his face you saw his ponytail and his leather jacket from the yeah. back side how do you but know his face profile no i could see a profile and a, and a nice sharp nose so i know how he looked and he's got glasses by the way so oh, it's got an intellectual bend here yeah. 
Okay, that's cool. That's very interesting. That's a very nice way of um, letting our audience know how does the mind of an author work. That's very very interesting. You also have the credit of creating India's definitely. I don't know about the world's first detective who works with astrology. Yeah. Tell us something about that. Again, <clears throat> that's a that's home ground for me. Astrology. You know, I have grown up in um, in an atmosphere of astrology because my mom is a quite reputed uh, astrologer. Um, she studied. She was one of the. She not one of the. She was the first lady astrologer of Pune. This is like way back, even before I was born. So you can imagine that I probably learned astrology when I was in her stomach, literally. Like uh, who is that? Who's Abhimanyu? Abhimanyu. Yes, that's right. So something like that. So I, when I was born, literally, I, I had astrology all around me. But of course, I didn't think of an astrology mystery series then. There was a there's a story that I would like to uh, like to share. So a lot of people used to come to my mom to ask her about you know problems and issues and all that. And this is what my mom. This is a story my mom shared with me. She was in a kind of a party when this Bollywood director came to her and said that you know there's this really urgent question I want to ask you, and since you're here, will you please answer it? And she said, "Yeah, sure." And she kind of remembered his horoscope. My mom has this fantastic memory where if she sees one horoscope, she's never going to forget it. So you ask her ten years later about that particular person, she'll still remember his horoscope. So she said, "Okay, tell me what it is." And he said, "I want you to." He took her aside a little bit and said, "You know, I want to know when I will have a son." You know, so my mom just, you know, thought of his patrika, and uh, then she looked at him and said, "Do you want to go somewhere private? Because this is a little, <laughs> this is a little odd." He said, "No, no, all these are friends. You can definitely tell me when I'm going to have a son." So she said, "Okay." She said, "Okay, here's here's the thing. You already have a son. You just can't claim him as yours." And you know when oh, yes, so that was it was very shocking. He was shocked when he when my mom told me this. I was shocked because suddenly I realized that you're dealing with something. A horoscope is something that can tell your deepest secrets to an astrologer, and that set me thinking. I said, if your if your horoscope is like an X-ray of you, why has it never been used in solving a crime or finding out if a person is capable of crime? And then that set me thinking, and that's how I conceived the cosmic clues. Where Sonia Samat, who's a Pune-based detective, solves cases with the help of horoscopes. And you know, there's no going back from there. That, that that's was wonderful. You know, you've you've got this Ray Parker who has a ponytail and is handsome. You have Sonia Samat who is solving cases with astrology. You've got this bunch of kids in the um, the Spunky Cousin series. Oh, let's talk about the Spunky Cousin series. So, what do you have in mind about them? They are about children. Yes. So yes, of course. So Spunky Cousins are basically like the Famous Five or you know Secret Seven, except. That they're uh, they're they're uh, homegrown again, and they are they are uh, born in the soil of India. Okay, why I'm saying this is that when I grew up reading Enid Patton books, I had a kind of an identity crisis. You know, I thought that you eat scones and have lemonade <laughs> and you ride bikes in the countryside, and you know, I just thought that that's how you do it. You have sandwiches in the open and you solve mysteries. I thought that's that's what your life is all about. And then I, so I grew up thinking I was English. I was literally. As a matter of fact, I want to just add something here. A yes. lot of, at least me and a lot of people in my generation would always wonder why is the sunny day lovely. We could never figure out <laughs> why, how, why, and how can a summer day be lovely until we realize that the weather and, in uh, yeah. Exactly, and also that food always tastes better on picnics. 
Yeah. Uh, because they always pack something and they go oh, cycling somewhere. And you won't believe it. The influence on me was so strong on all of us, my uh, yes. you know sisters and brothers, that we used to literally have a secret club, uh, like in the, in her books. And we used to follow people on the road, anybody who looked suspicious, trying to find out if this is a suspicious person and try to see if there's a mystery there. So that's the kind of uh, influence, strong influence Enid Blyton had on me. But I realized as I grew up and that the writing I was doing was all a rehash of what Enid Blyton was doing. You know, the kind of Peter's Wood and a fatty kind of character and all that. And somehow others wouldn't relate with it the way I did because I was half British in my head, you know, in, because of her books. And I realized that that's not really who I am. I'm an Indian and there are no beautiful, uh, you know, uh, around my around my place, there's no beautiful countryside that I can go in the fields and eat. I would be more scared of the snakes in the field, I think. More Manjali, than, you, you know. You have Pune around you, at least Pune. I know, but when I was locations. Yeah, I know. And lots of beautiful stuff around Pune. But what I'm saying is that like children, uh, you can't just pick up a bike and go out into the countryside. Oh, yeah. I wasn't living in a village. I was yeah. living in a city and there's traffic and, you know, parents are wary of letting your children go out in the street and play and all that kind of thing. So I realized that uh, there, there was a certain, um, uh, how should I say, kind of a friction between my concept of her books and me growing up. And I had to bridge that gap with books of my own that Indian children would read and not have a problem growing up and identifying with themselves, which is why the Spunky Cousins were born, even when I wrote them you know, way back, where I wanted children who were reading Spunky Cousins to enjoy the same kind of love for outdoors and love for mysteries, but with, within India and within our uh, surroundings. And that is how the Spunky Cousins solved their first mystery in a seaside coastal village. And, and they're going to go on to solve many mysteries in different parts of around Pune or wherever, whatever. Wonderful. <laughs> so that's the part. Yeah. That, that's really wonderful. I think we've talked about a books. Let me ask you a very generic question about your career. If you had an option of redoing your journey, would you do something differently? Lots. Certainly oh. lots. Yeah, because I'll tell you why. I was working in a place called Bal Chitravani, uh, which is a government setup where we did lots of uh, television productions for children. And I lost a lot of time there, I felt. You know, as a writer, when I look back today, I felt that I, if I've written 18 books today, probably I would have written 40 books today if I had not spent so much time, you know, working in that atmosphere. But of course, you know, you need money, you want a steady job. There's so many things. But now when I look back, I would have left that job much earlier and started writing much earlier or taken writing more seriously much earlier. That's one thing I would do. Second thing, I, what I would do is, you know, be more outgoing and would have spent more time amongst readers. I always believe that writers write, readers read. <laughs> and I spent a little bit of laughing, but honestly, uh, it's only now that I've realized that I need to step out and promote books and all that. And I was completely orthodox in my approach and I felt I needed to write. That was my goal. I hear you. I hear you. Completely. <laughs> yes. So probably if I'd started that earlier, you know, when I was writing books, instead of sitting in my corner in some part of the world just writing, I would have stepped out and tried to connect with readers. Maybe if social media had happened earlier, I would have done it earlier. So those are the kind of things I felt that my writing, I felt, was ahead of times. I think the world had to catch up with me uh, in terms of social media and stuff I felt honestly so maybe the timing was all kind of not over you know it wasn't right in many ways I felt you know veteran you've got three decades of experience in the industry so what is your impression of the publishing industry in India 
today you mean or from all the time generally and 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 no political answers no 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 i can't give any political answers i have to tell you this the publishing scene as far as i am concerned uh is tough it's it's a very tough world out there i feel uh, as um when i started writing you know i got published rather easily rupa took up my rupa publications took up my books quite easily the first two books was easily published then i went through because i was do, uh, doing other things too but then getting my next book out was tough until uh, the cosmic clues happened which was published by random house usa and so what i'm trying to say is that no matter how many books you publish okay it's always difficult to publish your next book so when i look at the publishing scene in india today i know that there are lots of writers out there i know that there's if tomorrow i stop writing no one's going to miss me there're going to be 10 other people who are going to be writing you know uh, probably the same kind or probably different or whatever so when i look at the publishing scene today i feel that it has gone haywire i think there is no discipline in publishing i think there is no commitment in publishing i feel that publishers are not really um, they they treat the book like a product and whereas authors for them it's the labor of love and i think until this gap between publishers treating books like their products and writers who look at it like the labor of love and unless there's some sea of connecting bridges between these two i think there's always going to be this sense of um, incompletement incompletion income you know something dissatisfaction between the, yeah incompletion between uh, the publisher and the author I think there is this major relationship problem between publishers and writers as long as the book is only treated like a product. I'm not saying every publisher does that. I know that some of my publishers are are really great. Uh you know, I so I don't have I'm not complaining. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to take names. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not I'm, I'm, this is not a complaint this is an analysis of the situation where i feel that if publishers are more communicative with writers take more risks uh with writers treat them like their children and not like uh you know people to be used because you see all said and done when the sales numbers are very important i agree but all said and done when you calculate 100% how much do uh, writers really get out of it it's really so minuscule that all the work that you do in 6 months in a one year is only a labor of love it is never going to be for money so i think publishers need to understand that they need writers writers need to understand that they need publishers and that this synergy will ha- will have to be positive and will have to be productive mutually productive and i think a change needs to happen in the in the field of publishing Okay, that was a very nice and uh, interesting answer. So, what do you think is the future of publishing in India? Oh, it's good. I'm sure it's good. I'll tell you why. Because publishing people are no more dependent on publishers to be published. I think, and therein lies uh, uh, the what, what should I say? Therein lies the democratization of publishing. uh well yes to an extent but yes absolutely the monopoly of publishers is slowly uh going away it's evaporating it's vanishing as more and more options are open to writers who want to write so uh as long as you're happy self publishing of course or ebook publishing or whatever it is but i can see that the satisfaction of being published is no more dependent on publishers and that is a a, a game changer today and when i look at the future i mean for for example for me i would always like to be traditionally published 
Okay, I would because I feel that there is some kind of a value addition to what I'm doing or some kind of a credibility to what I'm doing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, but that may not be everybody's viewpoint. Some people may like to have full control over what they're doing, which is also good enough. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, it's this is good or that is bad. What I'm saying is that the future of publishing is going to be varied. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be, um, how should I say, it's going to be multi-layered. And uh, as long as people want to write, there are going to be options open. And I think that's going to be great. That's nice. The first answer like a stick and the second answer like a carrot. I love that. It's a characteristic approach. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the reading habits. What do you yeah. observe about the reading habits of Indians? Oh wow, that's that's that that. If you ask me about the publishing scene, I'm going to say the writing the read writing scene is good, publishing scene is good, but the reading scene is seriously worrisome. I feel that I mean you do see people reading all the time, but are they reading books? Uh, that's that's something I'm seriously doubtful about. Uh, I know you know when I was growing up, I could see people reading everywhere. Okay, and I could see that uh, libraries and schools and parents encourage reading. Okay, today with all the options open to us with the you know Netflix and OTT platforms and uh, everything on mobile and you know whatever outdoor sports everything that's there, reading has a very uh, low rank on the scale of uh, knowledge and education and and entertainment and everything. It comes somewhere last. Also, the kind of um, uh, experience that reading gives you, which is completely um, an, an in, in, inward, it's an inward experience. It's something that you experience within you. It's not outward. And so very few people really want to stay inward nowadays. They are all outward. There's exhibitionism. There's uh, because of social media, obviously, you know, there's everything wants need. People need to see everything around you. And that has kind of seeped into our characters too, not our characters, into the characters of the kids because they're growing up seeing social media exposure, uh, you know, flaunting what they're doing every day, travels and everything. So everything around them has become a matter of display. Whereas reading is a very private experience that nobody needs to know about. You know, and I think therein lies the problem why reading has gone down because people are now all out there, their lives are all out there, and reading requires you to be in there somewhere. So I think that is one of the major problems with the reading nowadays. And this is a trend which is growing, and a lot of people considering, uh, you know, career options and and parents who are so uh, competitive about their children are pushing the children to more and more outgoing options, not ingoing options. And so reading of fiction, uh, I'm particularly talking about fiction, of course, is really going down. And especially as far as my books go, I feel that my audience, so maybe in the first year, first book, 94, is still reading my books. Where is the new audience? You know, literally, I feel that. I mean, the people who read my books then uh, are still reading my books. The, there might be consistency, but really, if I'm writing for 30 years, and if you know, every year at least 10 people are added or 100 people are added to my list. I should have at least a, a, a stable of readers who, in thousands right now would be reading my books. Is there not just me? I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about every author who's been writing for a long time. Do they have a stable of readers which multiplied over the years? I seriously doubt it. You know, everyone, I mean, people do pick up casually, might read a flick through a couple of pages, drop the book. There is no attention span. There's no retention span. There's no excitement about reading. And all this is because of uh, the changes happening around us all the time. Did I take too long to answer this? 
no but very very expansive and a very detailed answer that takes me to my next question um uh, aditi how are we doing on time do we have a couple of questions yes so you may great great thank you so so marketing has become a very very crucial part of an author's life right and marketing something which is a dreadful activity considered by most authors how do you see marketing and what importance do you give to marketing well like i said you know i was partly not prepared for this change you know when i wrote uh, uh, when i wrote my first few books and after a gap i came back with i think the cavern site conspiracy after a gap of 5 or 6 years i realized that everything had changed it was just no more enough to write a book sit back and write the next book now the success of an author lay in being a multifaceted multi talented person you have to be a, a writer you have to be an orator you have to be a socializer you have to be a social media expert you have to you know go out and meet people you have to do you have to probably even invest money in your pr you know so much so much was happening out there that i realized that the world had changed was it a good thing was it a bad thing when i look at the changing trends and i look at the kind of authors writing i mean so many authors are writing books so many authors i look at it this way why would anyone go out there and pick up your book from hundreds of books out there why would somebody do that and i think that is where marketing comes in i think today it is an essential evil i think it is important for authors to really connect with their readers to go out there and help them choose your book from hundreds of books and that is something that you need to you know you have to change with times and uh, today i'm talking to you because of that you know because of all my books and uh, I, i was a recluse of a person i think i made the transition pretty successfully whether you, i don't know if you'll admit it or not but i think from being a recluse uh, to talking today about marketing being a good thing i think i have uh, evolved quite a bit but having said that it's not only the author's job i think publishers need to invest equally in making their in, you know in the visibility of their authors and i think somewhere that there is again a friction between that interesting that's that's a very 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 uh, good point of view i must say and a very balanced point of view on that coming to my next question is what do you think um should be the path taken by an aspiring author who wants to build a career in writing are you sure he wants to build a career in writing that's the first question i would ask any would be a she he or she i would say do you really 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 want to do this is that what you want to do in your life write and only write was the is the first question i would ask that person and if the answer is yes i would say then enjoy the journey because it's going to be a long 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 journey and a lonely one okay uh, so that's what i would tell the person be ready to enjoy everything ups ups and downs just enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it you're going to go into depression literally so you have to learn to enjoy what's coming to you and write from your heart i always say that write what you believe in write what you really want to write don't write because someone else is writing you know something very successful and you want to you know jump in the bandwagon don't do that write what you want to write write what you believe in write from your heart and enjoy it because if you don't enjoy your own books and your own writing process you're going to end up regretting it all 
So what is the best advice that you would give to people to improve their writing? So that was the career advice. Now about improvising their writing. Oh, improve their writing. Well, of course, lots of reading. You know, when you read, read and read, writing comes naturally, which is what, because I am not a trained writer. I didn't go to any creative school or, you know, I can teach, but I'm not taught. I wasn't taught. So that is because I did so much extensive reading as I was growing up that writing came to me as a as a natural form. So I think writing is a very important part of it. Secondly, to uh, you know improve your craft, you need to experiment. I mean, you can't just write one book and stick with it. I think you need to work out of your comfort zone all the time and challenge yourself. Uh, like I said, challenge the originality, challenge. Uh, new plots and new ideas, new genres, challenge yourself all the time. So your craft improves. And language, of course, you have to, you know, with reading and uh, taking part in sessions like this, you need to start improving on your languages and the words keep coming to you. <laughs> Half the time I miss out all the words, but when you're, when you're in, you know, involved in discussing things and discussing books and are part of book clubs and go to lit tests and you know you do all this go the full circuit i think it all all helps you improve as a person and as a writer great tell us something very interesting and quirky about your writing process is there a, is there a, is a certain way that you are superstitious about writing like you wake up at a particular hour or you put something on your writing desk or you look at somebody's face before you start writing how is it like oh no i have no such things i'm a very random writer you know I, i've been asked this question do i have a routine uh all these things what are my quirks my quirks are that i i, I guess the only quirk i really have is that i need to take a long 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 walk uh to create my plot if i don't walk my thinking is in my walking so uh, this this is i have a very funny picture i wish i could show it to you when i was at uh, the the palace you know the schloss uh, writing my book i was stuck on a on a certain plot idea you know there was a block and it had just snowed you know and so there was this one clean path which was absolutely untouched and pristine and when i started thinking about the plot i started walking up and down just that little bit that stretch of road and by the time that idea came to me because of the walking that path was covered with thousands of steps my own so i took a picture of it because the path is a pristine thing and then after my thinking so it became a thought path for me so literally that is i think my uh, my biggest plus that if i need to write i need to walk and i i, I walk like miles just to get my plot right and my characters right i need to walk and walk and walk and then when it's all done in my head i sit down and write so i guess my biggest quirk is that i walk that's wonderful that's a very interesting and unknown fact about you good thank you for sharing that what are you writing next yes <laughs> well i've got multiple ideas uh, happening i wish I, there were four manjiris uh, with you know multiple hands because i've got so many ideas i don't know where to begin but i think the next book will be another fiction a mystery and uh, well i'm halfway through and hopefully it'll be out next year great i think it was lovely talking to you manjiri we had a great time knowing so much about you and your writing and your career you are an inspiration to so many young people who want to jump the bandwagon and write so i hope they've listened and heard you and will take tips from you where can your audience reach you how do they get in touch with you uh, well they can write to me where can they get in touch i think through you i think the best thing would be through you okay 
<laughs> and them write to you. Facebook page. They can connect with you on a Facebook page. Your I, yes, your the problem. The I know they can do all of that. The only problem is that uh, if they write, if they email me, I I don't you know literally. How should I say? There's so many emails coming in that I I'm a little lazy. So uh, you know, I tend to skip certain emails and stuff like that. So I think the best thing to do would be if they're really serious about all of this. Of course, they can drop me a message on Facebook and on Twitter and all that. I'm open. I'm a pretty socially available person that way. But if they really need to connect with me for a book project or something, the best thing would be through you. Oh, thank you so you much. You be my you be my uh, spokesperson, Dipan. <laughs> you be my designer. My <laughs> Absolutely, my pleasure. It was lovely talking to you, Manjiri, and I think we had a great time. And with that, I hand over the session back to Aditi. Thank you so much, sir. But uh, I must say, I do agree with you that this session was the greatest session. And the thing that I am taking away with me that if you want to write, then write what you love. And keep doing the things and enjoy the thing which you are doing. So that is like something that I really loved about this session, and which I'm also taking home. So at the outset, I would like to thank Dr. Manjiri Prabhuman and Dr. Dipankar Mukherjee sir for joining us today. We we wish we get to hear you both again and be equally enlightened as we all are today. And for my dear. audience i am sure that after witnessing this session this great session you all are taking home an enriched version of yourself just as i will thank you for joining us today until i see you again this is aditi mishra signing bye 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 thank you